Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Ryan Yoho. I'm one of the elders here at Grace. It's uh, my privilege to bring God's Word to you this morning. Last week, uh, we finished up our summer series on the book of Galatians. And starting next week, we are going to start a new series on the Ten Commandments, looking out of the Old Testament. Uh, but since we are headed into a new season, and we also know that we have quite a few newer folks who've uh, joined us over the last several months, um, we thought that it, this morning would be a, a really good opportunity to, to just take some time to remind ourselves about the mission of the church. And then also, towards the end, we're going we're gonna to also highlight why home groups are so important to that mission um, as we uh, do that here at Grace. So with that in mind, let's open in prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning as, as children, as your children, humbled and thankful to be part of your family, and knowing that we can know you and love you only because of what your son Jesus did for us. So please help us hear your word this morning and help us come to love you and one another more and more through the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It is always uh, interesting and encouraging to me to, to hear some of the stories of how different people ended up uh, coming and being part of Grace Bible Church. Um, everybody got here somehow. There was some sort of process or interaction that, that led to the first time you you came on a Sunday morning. Um, maybe that was years ago, and you barely even remember. Maybe it was months ago, or maybe today is even your first uh, day joining us. Um, but there's always a, a variety of stories, but they kind of come in categories. Every once in a while, we actually hear a, a few folks who, who just kind of walked in. Um, they had been, they'd seen the church, they'd driven by it, they'd walked by it, and they thought, I should go. So here they are, and that is, that is awesome. But to be fair, that doesn't happen super often. More often, there's a, maybe an invitation, or you were talking with somebody, and word of mouth um, kind of came into play, and you heard about grace, and they encouraged you to, to join them and, and, uh, and come with them, and maybe that's how you got to be here. Um, but I suspect a, a relatively large group of you uh, were, for one reason or another, looking for a church, and probably checked out the website as your first thing. Just out of curiosity, who, literally, if that, who's, who checked out the website as kind of their first way of interacting with Grace Bible Church? Yeah, a lot, a lot of you. Um, and then decided to come, and, and we're glad to have you, and the, and the website is a fantastic tool. It's, it's a really neat thing that we, uh, in this age, have available to us to uh, share information with people. Uh, if you've been to our website at all, you may have seen our mission statement. It's something that is at the bottom of many of the pages, and then especially if you're a visitor, um, we, we feature it pretty prominently as, the, as you start to explore what Grace Bible Church is all about. Our mission statement for Grace Bible Church is disciples making disciples, loving God and people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so maybe that is something you've heard or, or seen here at Grace, or 
Maybe it's not. Maybe you weren't familiar with it. It's not something we go around reciting all the time. It's not like a secret password with goes the handshake or anything like that. And, and you don't need to go and rush out and memorize it. But it is something that we, we do take seriously. Um, it's on the website because we think it's a good summary of, of what Grace Bible Church is really focused on as a church. Uh, it's, it's also something that the elder team, uh, the elders and pastors, um, talk about quite a bit because we want to make sure that our ministries and our priorities are in line with our mission, with what we're supposed to be doing as a church. Uh, and this mission statement is, is for the whole church, not just for the elders and the pastors and the leaders. Um, if you are a member of this church, then you're a disciple of Christ, and we want this to be your mission too. In fact, we, we kind of expect it to be because it's, it's part of what makes us a, a unified church. Disciple is a, is a word that just means follower of Jesus, a believer in Christ. And so what we're saying is that our purpose, the mission that we all share, is to be Christ-following disciples who help others learn to follow Christ too. And we do that by loving God and loving people through the gospel or the good news of Jesus. So this morning, we are going to do two things. Uh, first, we're going to look at why this is our mission statement. Uh, we did not just make it up. It came from somewhere. Um, and we think it came from somewhere pretty solid. And then second, we're going to look at why home groups in particular are so valuable for living out our disciple-making mission. So, those are the two main questions for this morning. Why is this our mission? And why does GBC find home groups to be so valuable for living out that mission? So to start, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, or you can see the words up on the screen. Chapter 28 is the last chapter in Matthew, and we are looking at verses 18, 19, and 20, which are the last verses in the last chapter. These verses may be familiar to you. Often this passage is, uh, is referred to as the Great Commission. You may even have a little label in your, in your Bible that calls it that. Because this is where Jesus is giving his last big instructions to his disciples. So we'll pick it up in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples. And he starts it off by declaring his position relative to them. All authority in all of heaven and all of earth has been given to him. The Father has given Jesus all authority over all of creation. And with that assertion, with that reminder of authority, he tells his disciples what they, what we, are to do. These are not mere instructions 
or suggestions for sure. We are followers of Jesus Christ. He is the unquestionably worthy leader, and he is, to use the military term, giving orders here. In particular, he's giving one main order, and that is to make disciples. The, the way the Greek grammar works underneath all this, so my commentary said, is that that is the, the, the main command, the sort of no kidding instruction there. The other verbs are also really important but because they, they help describe how you go about doing that main command of making disciples. And so, first, you make disciples as you go. When it says go and make disciples, it doesn't mean that you have to physically go to a different spot or a far-off country. The idea is more as you are going, as you are living life, be discipling others, be making disciples. And that means sharing the gospel with those who haven't heard it. Uh, and if they come to trust in Jesus, then it also says to baptize them as an outward sign of, of the inward change that comes with believing in Christ. And then making disciples also includes this component of teaching. And if we think about it, it makes sense, right? Because Jesus is the one we're following and, and, and trusting as disciples. The people need to know about him. And, and in particular, they need to, to know that we all need forgiveness of our sins through him so that we can have a restored relationship with God and gain eternal life. So we need to teach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we include that phrase in the mission statement of, uh, of through the gospel of Jesus Christ at the end. Because without the gospel, there can be no disciple making. But in this particular passage, Jesus is also very clear that in verse 20, part of the teaching is to observe all that I have commanded you. Followers of Jesus are supposed to help other followers of Jesus learn to obey all of Jesus' commands. And then Jesus closes out this passage with, with an encouragement that we are not left alone as we seek to carry out this work. He is with us always. In fact, it's only with his gracious help that we are even able to do this kind of work. So that's the Great Commission. Jesus, with all authority and with the promise to be with us, tells us to make disciples, to baptize them and teach them to obey all that he's commanded. But it kind of prompts a question. What has he commanded? What is all of it? Isn't that a lot of stuff? Seems like it could be. Now, we already know that we're going to have trouble obeying because of, of leftover sin in our hearts. Um, but on top of that, the sort of difficulty with obeying and the struggle that we have with sin, there seems to be this other challenge of, of even knowing all that he has commanded. Where do we even start with that? So let's flip back 
a few chapters to Matthew 22, where Jesus actually answers a, a very similar question posed by a Pharisee. This is Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36. And you'll see the question right off the bat. He too was asking something similar, kind of where do I start when I think about all these commands? Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus answered this question by paraphrasing a couple of commands from the Old Testament. The first one from Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that God's people are commanded to love the Lord their God with all their heart and mind and soul. And Jesus calls this the great commandment. And then he says there's another one that's of similar importance, which is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that comes from Leviticus chapter 19. So in all the Old Testament, why did he pick those two to highlight and call the most important? It's because on these two commandments hang the rest of God's law. They are the core or the essence of all of his commands. Everything else flows from them. You can kind of see that, right? They're, they're big, overarching, high-level kinds of commands. So with that in mind, let's, let's take a quick pause and look again at our mission statement. Disciples making disciples, loving God and people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is that our mission statement? We said that was one of our questions this morning. Well, in one sense, it's pretty easy. It's because we basically pulled it from Matthew chapter 28 and Matthew chapter 23. Jesus told his disciples to go make disciples, baptizing them, baptizing all those that respond to the gospel, and then teaching the believers to obey all he's commanded. So we get that part from there. And then he also commanded us to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So, a huge part of, of doing the work of disciple-making is loving God and people through the gospel. And so let's consider a bit about what it actually means to do that, what it means to love God and to love people through the gospel. We'll start on the, on the first part, where we're commanded to love God with our whole selves. So what does that look like? There's a, a verse in John chapter 14, verse 15, that says, this is Jesus talking, if you love me, well, that's, that's a good start. That's what we're asking, right? What does it look like to love God? Well, this is Jesus telling us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That means loving God requires some things. It requires obedience, but it also requires knowing God and knowing his commandments, his commands reflect his character, right? We know God more as we know what he tells us to do. And also, those aren't just random commands. Those are 
expressions of his perfect intent for us, for how we are to live. It also means that loving God is not ultimately expressed as a feeling or, or, a, or an emotion. Um, it's, it, it really comes to fulfillment in how we live our lives in relation to him and his loving, good authority. Paul expands on this um, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It should be up on the screen here. In that passage, Paul writes, It is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more. That's what we're looking, uh, looking at this morning. How do we love God? How do we love God more? It is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our love of God abounds through knowledge and discernment of God. We come to love him more by knowing more about him, about his love, about his will for us. And then our love shows itself, our love for God shows itself as we obey his will. The Philippians passage called that the fruit of righteousness. Maybe an analogy kind of helps, uh, helps us understand the connection between love and obedience, but also knowledge and discernment. Um, and it's a, it's a parenting analogy. It also is kind of a kid analogy, so everyone's been at least one of those things. Um, so here we go. This is a concept that I call uh, the, the scale of obedience. I suspect it will resonate with you, though you probably don't call it this yourself. So at the bottom of the scale, the flat bottom of the scale is just plain old disobedience. You say one thing, kid doesn't do it. Right above that, though, is this kind of a weird category. It's what you might call like technical obedience, but it's not really what we're after, right? That's, that's reluctant begrudging obedience. The kid is technically obeying, but just barely. Maybe they've been told to, to take out the trash, right? And, and they do it, but there is an awful lot of like sighing and slowness involved in them taking out the trash. Whatever it is, it is not obeying with all of their heart and mind and soul, right? That is not what you would call that. But further up the scale are those times when you say, hey, it's trash night. Can you take out the trash? And they say, sure. And jump up and do it. And there's no like complaining. There's no foot dragging. There's no issues. And, and even for like a, a minute or two, you sort of indulge the fantasy that you actually have this like parenting thing sort of figured out. And you're like, hey, look at that. I said it. They did it. It's great. That's like, that's, that is obedience, that, that counts. But it's not the, the ideal. The actual ideal here 
the, the pinnacle of this scale of obedience in my head, which doesn't really happen very often, is when after some lessons and some lectures and some years, there comes this day when you realize that the trash has already been taken out, right? <laughs> and once you get over your initial confusion and you're like, wait, what happened? Something's wrong here. You have to kind of dig to the bottom of the mystery and realize, no, actually, they're, they're not like lobbying for something. This isn't like some sort of plan. They, they just realized it was trash night and, and that's their job and it's part of being a family and like that's, that's obedience, right? That's the kind of heart response that God is after for us and it only comes with, with what the, that Philippians passage is talking about, knowledge and discernment, that type of maturity. There is no three-year-old in the world that obeys like that, right? Because that's not how it works. It takes time and learning and maturity. But that's what we're after. And as Christians, we gain that kind of knowledge and discernment by, by spending time with God, um, by reading his word, by hearing it taught, by talking about it with, with God through prayer and with each other. And that's one of the reasons why our, our Sunday morning worship services are just so central in the life of the church, because it creates those opportunities. It's also why we started the, the Wednesday Nights of Grace uh, teaching ministry, to create more opportunities for us to come together as a church, to grow in knowledge and discernment of God, so that we are able and inclined to love him more. So, one great commandment is to love the Lord your God, but the other is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? Well, someone asked Jesus the exact same question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered with the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, who who encountered and, and helped a stranger in need. So that helps us understand that the definition of neighbors is pretty broad. Elsewhere in Scripture, we're, we're told to love our enemies. We're told to go and preach to those who have not heard the gospel. We're told to seek justice and mercy for the least among us. So broadly speaking... We are to love all people because all are created in God's image. And as a church here at Grace Bible, we take that, that principle, that understanding of who our neighbor is, and we seek to apply it in, uh, in our support for overseas missions, in our uh, local outreach activities, we also want to encourage one another as we engage as individuals with the world, right? We are to love our neighbors. But Jesus also gave us some additional clarity on this question. Turn with me to John 
chapter 13, so a few books over. John chapter 13, starting in verse 33. We're going to look at John 13, 33 to 35. And Jesus here tells his disciples, Little children, yet a little while I am with you, and you will seek me. And just as I did said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Make disciples teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. And now, a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is emphasizing that for the church, there is a special version of loving your neighbor. Within the church, we are to be especially focused on loving one another. Uh, Pastor Doug shared with us the, the same basic idea just over the last couple of weeks from Galatians. You may remember uh, in Galatians 5, 13, and 14, it said, through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Galatians 6.10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So Christians are to be marked by our love for fellow Christians, for brothers and sisters in Christ. Our love for one another within the church will help all people outside of the church know that we are disciples of Jesus. We are to love one another, and as Doug read out of 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, Scripture tells us what that looks like, what that kind of love looks like. Love is, is patient and kind. It, it doesn't envy or boast it's not arrogant or rude. It, it doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It, it does rejoice with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And this kind of love should, should characterize how we treat each other. That's relatively easily said. We're familiar with the passage. I just said it. Great. It's the doing it part. <laughs> How do we do that? How do we love like that? We know that's something we struggle with. How is it that we can possibly love each other in that kind of way? I think there are, there are two simple things to kind of remind ourselves of this morning and take encouragement and strength from. First, 
If you look again at John 13, verse 33, the first part of what's up on the screen, it says, children, you will, you will seek me, but where I am going, you cannot follow. Jesus was preparing his people for him leaving, for, for him going to heaven after the resurrection, the, for his departure from this earth until his return, which still hasn't happened yet. Um, and so in that light, his new command that they, they love one another was, was in this context of them being worried or afraid of, of them being away from him. But it's also in this broader context in, in the book of John of, of what really is, a, is a, a monologue of encouragement from Jesus, of reassurance that it was going to be okay. Just a little bit later in John chapter 14, Jesus promises to send them a helper, the Holy Spirit. And with the Spirit, they would not be alone. With the Spirit, we are not alone. It is because of the Holy Spirit that Jesus could say back in, in Matthew 28, what we already looked at, that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. He gives us the command to love one another the way that he has loved us, but he also gives us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to make it possible. So, how is it possible to actually love one another the way we're supposed to? First, we do so through the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask for his help. We pray for it. And we know that we're not doing this just on our own strength. The second way is to follow a pattern that we've already talked about this morning. How do we, how do we cultivate our love for God? We said that we do that by seeking to know him more, by spending time with him, by learning more about him, by deepening our relationship with him. And that same pattern holds true for loving each other. We can more readily love one another simply by knowing one another better. That's why we do home groups. The primary benefit or, or goal of a home group is to create and strengthen relationships between people in the church, to make our love for one another both easier and more meaningful and more effective. It's not something that we can really accomplish um, just on Sunday mornings in a big, large group like this. The focus is, is on worshiping and learning, sitting under the, the word. The interactions we tend to have with each other tend to be brief and, and high level, and that's, and that's okay. But in a home group, as we spend more time together, as we learn more about each other, as we learn about, about God and pray and eat together, while we're doing those things, the Lord is working to, to make us part of one another in a, in a special, distinctive way. I am not saying that that is always easy or fun, <laughs> um, because people are not always 
easy or fun, and you and I are not always easy or fun. But as we come to know each other more, we will come to love one another more easily, more readily. And we'll do it in, in little but crucial ways, like, like rejoicing just sincerely with one another over the, the blessings of life, uh, like, like showing patience with one another. Shouldn't be that hard to think of instances where you know people need to be patient with you and you know you need to be patient with others. Like loving one another by not being easily irritated. Like the uh, First Corinthians said, to not be irritated with one, with one another's bad habits or idiosyncrasies. I know what that looks like because my home group lovingly does not seem to get irritated with me and my bad habits and idiosyncrasies. Um, like when I feel social time should be over. And so I just kind of start turning off some lights and seeing if they start to move along. And I know I, I shouldn't do that. And that's kind of defeats the purpose of this whole homework thing I'm talking about. And I'm working on that. But even as that does occasionally happen, the point here is that they love me anyways. And I'm grateful for that. Then there are the times when loving one another in the little things becomes loving one another in the big things. When those, those life-changing hardships and difficulties arise, when there's death or illness or hurt in relationships, together we bear all things endure all things. We comfort and serve one another. The people of grace have been tremendous at loving one another as they are loved by Christ. And that testimony of loving community has is, is just been beautiful to see and it has been largely rooted in our home group time together. There I don't want this to sound like the only possible way to know anybody in this church is to be in a home group. But I do want this to sound like, for the most part, in general, the best possible way is generally been, we've seen, to do home groups. Um, if you're in a home group already, please remain committed to it uh, through thick and thin as best as possible throughout the year. Dropping in and out when it's convenient kind of takes away from some of what we're talking about today. If you're, if you're not in a home group yet, please consider joining one. Um, Pastor Doug talked a little bit about it. There's a, there's a website. There's a, a really easy process. Or you can just talk to me or, or Pastor Stewart. Um, and, and, and they're starting up right now. This is the season. All the home groups are starting up in September. Now is a great time to try to join a home group. We have some new ones starting. There's one here at the church even. So the point is coming together as a, as a church takes some time and takes just that opportunity to get to know one another. Disciples making disciples, loving God and people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is this our mission? Because Jesus said so. There may be other ways to phrase it. You can word it differently, but 
The essence of this mission is non-negotiable. We make disciples by loving God and people through the gospel of the risen Christ because that Christ who has all authority gave us that mission. And why are home groups so valuable to us living out that mission? Because we need to know one another to love one another. And in doing so, we become more like Jesus, who knew us and loved us first. Let's pray. Father, thank you for knowing and loving us when we did not know and love you. And we pray for the help of your spirit and the encouragement of the fellowship and community of a church to grow in our love of you and in our love of one another. Thank you for the gifts and the grace that you have given us. In your name we pray. Amen.